everyone. Welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Bryn. And should we talk about our weekend? Yes, because last time we left the listeners on a little bit of a cliffhanger with where we were taking mom. Yes, and she didn't find out until we were in the airport. (laughs) We did a good job, I think. Yeah, we ended up going to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and it was awesome. It was so much fun. We had so many fun things planned. We had a little itinerary for her, and we surprised her with three of her best friends and her sister. Yeah, so she was in total shock when we got there. I'm just so happy everything worked out the way it did. Yeah, her reaction to seeing them was so fucking funny. So, okay, should we tell them what happened when we walked in? (laughs) Yeah, we'll do a brief synopsis. So... Before we got to the Airbnb, Bryn had talked to her about how she's shared an Airbnb with couples before and didn't know until she got there. Like, it was a shared Airbnb. So, mom was like, oh, my God, I really hope that's not the case. So, we get there, and you can hear people inside. Obviously, it was her friends and sister. And we open the front door, and she goes, fuck, there's people inside. She goes, this is going to (laughs) suck. Brim was like, keep going, keep walking. And then she eventually realized, but the initial reaction was so funny. Yeah. And when she saw it was them, her face was just in an open mouth gape and her bag, she just like dropped behind her. It was so funny. It was hysterical. It was totally worth it. Yeah. And then our house flooded. I was going to say the only downside. The second day we get there, we get up, take a shower. Well, Bryn takes a shower and... Kind all, of. Kind of. And all of a sudden, the hallway was flooding from the bathrooms, both bathrooms. Yeah, from under the toilets and under the showers. And it was it was a whole shit show. But we weren't even there for 24 hours. We were there for maybe 12 hours. It was insane. Yeah, we got there like 11 p.m. and then woke up the next morning and that's when... She took a shower. And then, so the property manager gets there. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You have to deal with this. Like, you're on vacation. You shouldn't have to deal with this. Sweet as pie. Yeah, so sweet. And we're like, it's okay. Thank you. She tries helping us find another place. But we ended up finding our own. So we're like, okay, cool. Well, the next day, I get an Airbnb notification that this girl tries charging us $2,000 for our stay at the Airbnb, which they refunded us, and charges for the flood because they were blaming it on us. Which is not possible. And we've talked to plumbers since, and they're like, no, this is a main drain problem. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I still have not heard back from Airbnb. But yeah, that's the status of what happened. (laughs) Long story short, it was a bit of a shit show, but it all worked out. And we got a beautiful second house that was actually way better than the first. And it overlooked the canal and it was so beautiful. Yeah, it was really pretty. So all in all, it worked out. Hopefully just pray to the crime cults and gods that we do not get charged $2,000. Yeah, that's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) So anything else, any recommendations for our listeners, any shows, books, podcasts? Um, To be honest, I haven't had much time to do anything with everything that's been going on, so I don't have anything new. Okay. 
I have that book that I was actually reading on vacation. Yeah. And it is absolutely incredible so far. I am completely obsessed with it. It's called All the Missing Girls, and it's a book by Megan Miranda. I highly recommend. I haven't gotten to the end yet, so if you finish it before me and it absolutely sucks, I'm sorry. But so far, I could not put that book down. I think one of our listeners, Johnny, recommended this book to me a while ago. I could be totally wrong. but Really? Could... Yeah. Aside from that, I don't think I have any recommendations besides the show that I recommended last week, The Midnight Club, because I'm still watching that and still loving it. Good. I started that with you, right? In Florida? Yeah. The night yeah. that we were awake. Yeah. Yeah. We, I stayed awake for about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Not I, a reflection on the show. That's a reflection of Kelsey. Right. Exactly. That's a reflection <laughs> of any time I watch TV, I fall asleep. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm going to have to keep watching it. For sure. Yeah. Should we get into our coffee review? Yeah. Do you want to talk about who they are? Yeah, so I actually had found out about this coffee shop in New Jersey because I was at a wedding and I met a random girl there at the wedding who started talking to me about coffee and she recommended this coffee place to us and it's actually a coffee trailer food truck type situation. So their Instagram is Omi's Coffee House and... The blend that they sent us today is the Omi's blend. Yeah. And I'm going to read a little card that they had sent. It says, you'll be sipping on our Omi's blend roasted by Hardy's coffee. This blend is a mix of Brazilian beans roasted lightly and Colombian beans roasted nice and dark. Yum. Yeah. I'm going to read a little bit about on their about me on their website. And their website is omiscoffeehouse.com. And Omi's is O-M-I-S on their website. Okay. It says, hello, thank you for being here. We are a mobile coffee business operating out of a custom-made trailer. I just, I can picture this already. It's so cute. Our goal is to bring cozy, creative, blissful feeling to you. Feelings you get from sipping into your favorite coffee shop to different events and locations across New Jersey. In the process, we want to donate to organizations we believe in make strong connections across communities, bring light to other small businesses, and keep our environment safe in the process. We hope to inspire and spread love through warm beverages and kind service. Oh my god, how That's cute. That's so sweet. That is adorable. I'm going to read a little bit more. They're about me is a little long, so I'll read another little section here. Our owner, Naomi, grew up in Hackettstown, New Jersey. She dreamed of having a, quote, smoothie shack since she was a little girl. That was until she tried coffee. (laughs) (laughs) After a six-month temporary move to Washington State, she noticed all these little convenient coffee trailers, shacks, trucks, and parked all over the state. You could get a cup of coffee pretty much everywhere you went. So she decided to bring the concept back to her hometown. Omi's Coffee House was formed in 2020 and officially opened in June of 2021. On the back of our cups, you will see the saying, quote, you got this, kid. As a reminder to always go for it, whatever, quote unquote, that is. Your childhood dreams, weird ideas, and creative concepts can become a reality, just like Omi's Coffee House. I love that so much. Adorable. And their packaging is 100% compostable, so that's amazing. Added bonus. Yeah. 
they're adorable the picture on their website you just have to go and look at that now just to see how cute they are it's so cute and I'm pretty sure the girl that I had met knows the owners and that's why she had recommended it I think she had said she's friends with her so cute the owner also wanted us to make note to everyone that they are currently looking for a storefront in either Morris or Bergen County area. They want to be able to serve coffee, but also have a local quote unquote mini artisan market within the shop. That is the cutest idea and I will totally be there. Same. So we will keep you guys updated with any updates from them or as we follow along on their Instagram to let you know when that happens and where it is. So cool. Also, just another little added tidbit in there. They do any events like weddings, birthday parties, communions, etc. So if you're thinking of having them come, give them a call. Yeah. And until then, check out their coffee trailer because I'm sure their location that they open next is going to be absolutely amazing. But this one is already super, super cute and cool and would be a great place to adventure to. I love it. I just took the first sip and this is fucking amazing. It is really good coffee. Holy shit. I was waiting to take the first sip until we started recording. It's I only put a teeny tiny little bit of hazelnut creamer in it because I wanted to taste it. But you can definitely taste that it's a dark roast. It's very, very bold, but not overwhelming. It's definitely not doesn't taste like watered down or anything like that. This is a really good coffee. Agreed. And to me, I did taste a little bit of a fruity undernote. I'm not sure what it is, but it's not strong to the point where I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't like this coffee. Like it's just a hint of it, if you know what I mean. Do you know what I'm talking about? I actually didn't taste that, but I would. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like a lot of coffees have a little bit of fruit flavors in there. Yeah, it's just a little hint of it. And I think I tasted it as my coffee was ho- on the hotter side. But okay. now that it's cooling down, I'm tasting it a little less. But again, it wasn't like a past coffee where it was way too fruity and it made me not like the coffee. I feel like it's just enough where it. I could taste it, but it's not a bad thing. Yeah. And... So a little side note, my dad came to visit a couple of weeks ago. And before I got up, because he gets up at fucking 5am, he went and like rummaged through my coffee and opened this one and used it. (laughs) He said he's a coffee snob. He said this was a really good coffee. Good. So glad. Yeah. Yeah, So I really like this one. I'm going to give it a 8.5. Yeah, I'm going to give this one an 8.25. Yeah, really, really good. Thank you so much for sending us this blend, and we obviously loved it. And we're definitely going to visit you. Yes. (laughs) So should we get into it? Sure. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. Okay, so today's case was recommended by two of our listeners, Christina and Ashley. So thank you guys both for bringing this case to our attention. Yeah, thank you guys. So little bit of background. Basically, we have to name this case by the perpetrator. And as we've mentioned before, we don't do this. But this is how the media portrays this case. And really, it's the only way to find this case because there are multiple victims. And also, we don't really want to talk about the background of the perpetrator. But in this case, it's pretty crucial 
So we are, you know, going against our normal procedure a little bit for this one, but we kind of wanted to explain that before we got into it. Yeah, and we kind of had to do this case since we've been asked twice now. <laughs> we kind of put it on the back burner for a while just because, like Kelsey just explained, we typically don't like going this route with our cases where it's more so about the perpetrator, but we have to also appease the requests. Right. So. And it is a crazy case. So without further ado, this case is about Dorothea Puente. Dorothea Helen Puente, her maiden name was actually Gray, was born January 9th, 1929 in Redlands, California. Her parents were Trudy Mae Yates and Jesse James Gray. They were both alcoholics. Frequently throughout her life, her dad had threatened to commit suicide in front of the kids, which is horrible to think about. That's so traumatizing. And there was a lot of kids. She was actually the sixth of seven children. Allegedly, the children also endured routine abuse from their mom, which is another traumatizing event. Some articles state that both parents were abusive, but, um, you know, a little bit of conflicting information between articles. In 1937, her dad, Jesse, died of tuberculosis. And also in 1937, her mom, Trudy, lost custody of the kids and died in a motorcycle accident. Wow. These poor children had to go through so much so early on. Mm-hmm. Puente and her siblings were subsequently sent to an orphanage, and she was sexually abused at this orphanage. This, I feel like, th- I was going to say this poor child, I feel so sorry for her until As she no. became who she was, you know what I mean? Right. No child should ever have to go through something like this. And as a child, I feel so horrible for that person. Absolutely not. That's so awful. I can't even imagine. At the age of 16, Dorothea got out of foster care and moved to Olympia, Washington to become a sex worker. But instead, she found a husband. So her plan was to become a sex worker, but along the way, she met a husband. In 1945, she married soldier Fred McFall, and she was 16 years old at this time, like we had mentioned. They had two daughters between the years of 1946 and 1948. One went to live in Sacramento with family, and the other was put up for adoption. She also had a miscarriage during this marriage, so really she didn't take care of her children at all. Right. I mean, this... I feel like this could also be due to maybe their marital circumstances with maybe she couldn't support them on her own or whatnot. Right. Or maybe there was other underlying issues. Clearly, she had endured trauma as a child. And who knows if she felt like she couldn't provide for them accurately for one reason or another. Yeah. Or, yes, she just didn't want her kids like we don't know the whole situation right in late 1948 which was only a few years later um her husband had left her although her last name changed many times throughout this story due to marriage we will be referring to her as puente to keep things a little easier to follow because there were multiple marriages 
So getting into her beginning crimes and more into her background info stemming from these crimes, spring 1948, she was arrested and charged for using forged checks in Riverside. She had used these checks to buy accessories and pled guilty to two counts of forgery. She then served four months in jail and three years of probation but Puente left Riverside six months after she was released. Wow. So she just up and left, which I'm sure she was not supposed to do. Right. I feel like that's not something you do. (laughs) Yeah. In 1952, she created a false identity, Taya Singawala Nayarda. She also lied and claimed, quote, to be a Muslim of Egyptian and Israeli descent. And that was a quote from Wikipedia. Which she clearly was not. Yeah. So I feel like that's also just so wrong on so many levels. It is fucked up. Like, why choose that? Yeah. And she had married a man named Axel Bren Johansson in San Francisco. He was tricked into thinking all of this information about her was true. Of course. So he knew her as Taya. A mastermind. That's insane. Yeah. Puente would invite men over and have affairs while her husband Axel was out to sea, and she would also gamble his money. So they did not have a good relationship. Uh, There were also reports that they had a very volatile, aggressive relationship with each other. But again, this was conflicting in different articles. In 1960, she was arrested, and she had been caught owning and operating a brothel. It was in Sacramento and had been hidden as a bookkeeping firm. Wow. I feel like that is such a contrast in appearance. Like, you look like you're this sweet woman who's just bookkeeping and really you're running a a brothel. Right. It's... I just can't believe by looking at this woman, and we'll talk more about this later, all the crimes that she has committed. Right. She definitely played different roles very well. Right. Puente was sentenced to 90 days in Sacramento County Jail, and following this in 1961, her husband Axel had her committed to DeWitt State Hospital. Allegedly, she invited an undercover cop over to a house of quote-unquote ill repute to perform a sex act. So this was most likely a place such as a brothel. Mm -hmm. And then Axel subsequently had her admitted to the psych ward. He was obviously concerned about her behavior as well as her drinking and there were suicide attempts made by her, which is awful. Yeah. And doctors at this state hospital diagnosed her. They said she was, quote, a pathological liar with an unstable personality. Another article said that she was diagnosed with schizophrenia with no, quote, remorse or regret who should be, quote unquote, closely monitored. Yeah, so a little differing diagnoses, but like all in all, uh, getting to the same point. Right. And this may have a more intricate or different diagnosis nowadays because obviously 
in the 1960s, things were phrased differently, or we didn't know as much about mental illness or different diagnoses as we do now. Yeah. 1966, Puente and Axel divorced, but she kept using his last name for her own purposes. And she took on the identity of Sharon Johansson, so that's her using his last name, and again, changing who she is completely. It's just so confusing, and I'm sure that's what she was trying to, you know, get across, was to just be confusing and and people would just lose track of who she is. Mm -hmm. Or she can just kind of restart as Mm -hmm. this completely different person, right? because as Sharon Johansson... She was now known as a Christian woman. She had also become a caregiver to young women and hid her previous crimes within this identity. She would give sanctuary to those who needed it. And that's why background checks are so important. (laughs) Right. And so she literally went from being married to this man and claiming she was Muslim to now all of a sudden she's this Christian woman and is just restarting a completely different life. It's really, really scary. Mm-hmm. So in 1968, Puente married Roberto Jose Puente. But they separated after 16 short months, and Puente claimed that Roberto was abusive. Their divorce was finalized in 1973, and in 1975, she filed a restraining order against him. So... Who's to say if that's you know, what happened or not, but that's what she said. After her divorce, she ran a boarding house on 21st and F Streets in Sacramento. The address of this boarding house was 1426 F Street. She held AA meetings and assisted people in signing up for social security benefits. So basically, this was like a house that she had opened to help people. That's what it came off as. Mm-hmm. Which would have been really nice if that were actually the case. Right. The idea behind it is great. Mm-hmm. She changed her appearance to look, quote unquote, older. She wore thick glasses, vintage clothing, and let her hair go gray. Yeah. I just even believe the manipulation. No, she's such a chameleon. Yeah. She was basically seen as a hero of sorts for taking in recovering alcoholics, drug addicts, mentally ill, and the elderly. She was known as a respected member of the community at this point. So people trusted her. They were like, this woman is doing this great thing. She's helping all these people in need. And little did they know. Yeah, people were even referred to her, sent to her. That's just sickening. So eventually the boarding house got shut down after she was caught caught signing her own name to tenants' benefit checks, which is so fucked up. She was literally just collecting these benefits from all of her tenants. She went on to marry Pedro Angel Montalvo, but he left a week after they got married. So another short marriage. Right. I I wonder if he was like, he lived with her for a few days and was like, holy shit, there is something wrong here. Right. Like, was he a super good judge of character? And he's like, I got to get out. Mm -hmm. In 1978, 
she was convicted of, quote, illegally cashing 34 state and federal checks that belonged to her tenants. And that was a Wikipedia quote. Holy shit. That is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But she received five years of probation and had to pay $4,000 in restitution. Which I feel like, honestly, is like a slap on the wrist. I was just going to – I was just thinking that. That's so – that is not going to keep someone from continuing to do that. Right. They're, like, basically saying hide it better next time you do it. Mm-hmm. So, on to the escalation. Her crimes eventually escalated into something much more extreme, and sadly, that meant murder. In April of 1982, Ruth Monroe, who was 53 years old, started living in Puente's upstairs apartment. Ruth died of an overdose from codeine and acetaminophen. There was excessive amounts of both of these in her system. When questioned by police, Puente said that Ruth was depressed. One article said that her cause of death was listed as undetermined, but another article says that the cause of death was ruled a suicide immediately by the police when Puente basically said she was depressed. Hmm. So a little differing information there, but a couple weeks later, Malcolm McKenzie, who is 74 years old, said that Puente had stole from him and drugged him. August 18th, 1982, she was convicted on three charges for theft. She was sentenced to five years in prison and only served three. Wow. During her time in prison, she began speaking to Everson Gilmoth who was 77 years old, and when she was released in 1985, she married. I wonder how she enticed all these men so quickly. That's what I'm saying. Everything was just so quick, like a quick turnover. Like, she was an expert in doing this. Right. I don't know. I just, this whole thing is crazy. So just keep in mind that these things happened, and then she did go to prison for a little while. I feel like how did how did no one notice all of these little things adding up and the escalation that was happening? Right. I think that basically, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, she targeted people that really didn't have ties to anything, so no one really caught on. Yeah, but at the same time, there were social workers or whatnot with the people who were staying at her house or tenants at her house, you'd think that there would be follow-up with, oh, this lady who's the landlord of this place or who's taking care of these people just got charged and was sentenced to five years in prison. Yeah. And then she comes out and then like other little things keep happening. I don't understand how people just fall, like slip through the cracks in situations like this. And it happened multiple times. Yeah. So in November 1985, she hired Ismael Flores to put wood paneling in her apartment. And she wanted him to build a 6 by 3 by 2 foot box. Interesting size choice. That right there is a fucking red flag, if I've Huge. ever seen one. Huge. She said she was going to use it to store, quote, books and other items, and to take it to a storage facility. Like, what? (laughs) 
She gave him $800 and a 1980 red Ford pickup to do the job. This Ford pickup was Everson's, but Puente said that he didn't need it anymore. If I were Ismael, I would have been like, where is he to tell me he doesn't need it anymore? Right. And remember, Everson is the, the person she met in prison. Yeah. So she also requested Ismael to move the box to a storage facility after it was filled. And they went to bring it, and on the way, Puente had him stop elsewhere instead. I can't. She had him pull over on the Garden Highway in Sutter County, and they dumped the box on a riverbank at a quote-unquote junk dumping site. I'm sorry, Ismail, but when she dumped those things over a junk dumping site, wouldn't you be like, why did I build this beautiful box for you in your books if you want to throw them all away? Right, and dump them into a river. I am so fucking confused how this was, like, over overlooked. Right, and what, I mean, not to put the blame on him, but, like, how are you driving along with someone thinking this is going to a storage facility, and all of a sudden she's like, no, right here is fine. Help me drag this into the river. Help me right. drag this coffin-sized box into a river. Right, like, oh, I don't need it. It's fine. The stuff in here is junk anyway. Yeah. Crazy. Over the years, parole agents visited Puente frequently, and she continued her boarding house and would collect the tenant's mail before they could receive it. How the fuck was her boarding house able to be reopened after what she had done the first time? I don't understand that either. I Maybe she had to go through a process to, like, redeem herself with that, but I, how wasn't, don't you need a license to have a boarding house? Maybe not back then. I don't know. Because I would expect that to be taken away the first time she lost her boarding house. Right. She would also take social security checks that they received, and she would pay them stipends and take money from them for quote-unquote expenses. So she was literally just collecting their mail, reading it, and any form of money that came in she was just taking and maybe giving them a little bit of it. The amount of abuse associated with this is just disgusting. It honestly, it's absolutely sickening. She was ordered to stay away from the elderly and was not supposed to handle government checks, especially ones that were not her own. You don't say. However, nothing was ever noted of her violating these orders. Like, why the fuck was there not a police report or anything filed? I do not get it. Or even just written down in the parole agent's notes or written down in the people who came to check in on these people, these social workers' notes. How was this not noted? She was just like, they were just like, oh, don't do that. I just don't understand. So moving on to the discoveries slash arrest. January 1st, 1986, a fisherman saw the 6 by 3 by 2 foot box near the river. He found it strange because obviously it looked like a coffin was laying in the river, mm-hmm. and he called the police. When they opened the box, they found an unidentifiable body of a man inside. Oh my god. This was the body of Everson Gilmuth. He remained unidentified for three years. Wow. From the time of his death until his identification, 
Puente wrote letters to his family and collected his pension. I'm sick. This woman was horrifying. Meanwhile, she told Ismail, the guy that she hired to build the box, that Everson didn't need his car anymore. Yeah, no fucking wonder you killed him. Mm-hmm. So Puente also told this man's family, Everson's family, that he was sick and could not contact them himself, which is why she was writing the letters. I would not, I don't understand that there's no follow-up there either. There's just so many places that there's, like, no follow-up. I feel like this woman is Belganis reincarnated. A hundred percent. Just the same disgusting, despicable mindset. Literally zero remorse. Yeah. Neighbors became suspicious of Puente when she had a homeless-slash-mentally-ill man named Chief, doing handiwork at the boarding house. So this man's actual name is not known, sadly. He was just known as Chief. She had him doing very odd jobs around her property. He dug in the basement and had to use a wheelbarrow to dump dirt and garbage from what he dug. The basement floor was then covered with a concrete slab. She also had him take apart a garage that was in the backyard, and a concrete slab was put down there as well. I mean, Jesus, come on. This is the most obvious thing. Like, what do you think the neighbors were thinking? Oh, wow, she's doing lots of construction over there. Well, they were like, this is weird that this is happening, and that chief, she's making this mentally ill man do all this work at her house. But, hello, a concrete slab being put down and holes being dug, it's just, it's so obvious what is happening here. So suspicious. After the work was done, Chief disappeared. Oh my god, this is so sad. Moving on to, weirdly enough, November 11th, because that's today, um, 1988. Police questioned Puente after her tenant, Alvaro Bert Montoya, disappeared. He was known as Bert, but his name was Alvaro Montoya. Alvaro was schizophrenic and developmentally disabled. He was reported missing by his social worker. Oh my god, this is horrifying. At least someone was looking out for him. Yeah. She said that Montoya was on vacation and a tenant named John Sharp backed her up on this. So he was like, yeah, he's on vacation. Allegedly, though, as the police were leaving, John Sharp gave the police a note that said, quote, she's making me lie for her. Oh, my God. Terrifying. She wasn't an immediate suspect somehow and was therefore allowed to leave the property. When the police asked to dig in her yard, she was willing to comply. She actually provided them a shovel And then she was like, hey, do you mind if I go get a cup of coffee? And they Mm -hmm. were like, sure, go for it. To no surprise, Puente fled to Los Angeles and became friends with a man at a bar who recognized her on later news reports and then subsequently turned her in. Thank God he was paying attention. Right? But that is so weird that she's like, I'm on the run. I'm just going to make friends with this random man. 
not to mention like hey we're digging up your yard because it seems suspicious that you buried people but yeah sure go get a cup of coffee yeah like i don't understand so after she was identified she was then subsequently arrested the, fol- the police found a spot of ground that was disturbed on her property and decided to dig. Sadly, they found the body of Leona Carpenter, who was 78 years old. She had also been a tenant of Puente's. They later found seven more bodies buried on this property. Oh, my God. Seven. That's and then the guy who let her go is like, hey, where's that lady that said she was going to get a cup of coffee? Right. Like, what? Oh, my God. I just can't even believe it. Moving on to charges and trial. Dorothea Puente was charged with nine murders. Holy shit. Yeah. And I'm going to list all of the names here. Everson Gilmuth, who we talked about already, was 77 years old. And remember, he was her boyfriend. Ruth Monroe, who was 61. Leona Carpenter, 78. Alvaro or Bert Gonzalez Montoya, who was 51. Dorothy Miller, 64. Benjamin Fink, 55. James Gallup, 62. Vera Faye Martin, 64. And Betty Palmer, 78. They were all her tenants. Rest in peace to all of them. And I wish, I wish we could find tons more information about each of them individually. But sadly, as mentioned, a lot of the media was focused around Puente for this one. So just horrible. She mainly targeted elderly, mentally disabled and mentally ill individuals, as I had mentioned earlier, which is another fucking level of abuse mm-hmm. she like, just went for the vulnerable and i feel like she just took people for their innocence and their trust like they were trusting of her to care for them because she was supposed to be taking care of them and helping them yeah it's just it actually makes me want to puke thinking that somebody could do this to somebody so innocent mm-hmm So, she would obtain some of of Social Security payments after their death, which is, again, horrifying. That's why she did this. That was her motive. Just so many levels of evil. Most of them had been drugged, and after they died, Puente would wrap them up in bed sheets in plastic lining. She would then drag them into the open holes in her yard and would bury them. How did nobody see this happening? I have no idea. Not to put the blame again on anybody, but how did she get away with this nine times? However, some information varies with this. As the prosecutor stated during the trial that she used sleeping pills, Dalmain, to be honest, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. I've never heard of that sleeping pill, but that was the one that was mentioned. And it was to put some of her victims to sleep and then suffocated or strangled them that's she is just pure evil i have no other word for her honestly absolutely evil 
Pathologists testified that they could not determine a fixed cause of death for any of these victims. And I'm not really sure how, but that's what happened. Hmm. October 1992, the trial was transferred to Monterey County and ended a year later. Prosecutor John O'Mara had called over 130 witnesses to the stand. Wow. That is incredible and insane, but at the same time, where were those 130 witnesses when this was happening? Right. Like, if you're a witness, you're witnessing a crime. So how... How did this continue if there were that many people who were witness to a crime? That just doesn't make sense to me. Like you said, how did this happen nine times? Right. Like, what were the witnesses? What did they see? Yeah. And even if they were just vouching for maybe her character or just like odd things here and there that they're now realizing that she did. There were so many crimes leading up to these murders And so much escalation that she shouldn't have been able to get away with this nine times. Yeah, exactly. She was convicted of three murders, three out of nine. This is a quote from Wiki, quote, The jury deliberated over a month and eventually found Puente guilty of three murders. The jury was deadlocked 11 to 1 for conviction on all counts. And the lone holdout finally agreed to a conviction of two first-degree murder counts, including special circumstances, and one second-degree murder count. So, I don't know. I mean, obviously, everyone has their different way of thinking and different perspectives on cases. We've seen this happen in other cases where the jury's deadlocked and maybe there's a mistrial or... (sighs) I just, it's 11 to 1, and how did they agree to a conviction of two first degree and one second degree out of nine? I don't fucking understand, and I think it goes back to her appearance, but, I mean, how is there so much proof, 130 witnesses, and the jury is still so confused? But also, how do you how do you come to the conclusion of, yeah, these two she definitely murdered. They can have a first degree murder charge. And then um, this one can maybe get a second degree murder charge. But the other the other six. No, she didn't do it. Like, how do you come to that conclusion when they're all found buried in her yard? They're all found with that drug in their system and. Yeah, there's no, like, definite cause of death or, like, view of what actually happened. But how do you, how do you come to that conclusion as that final juror? And not to, I'm not trying to put blame on them. I'm just trying to understand. How do you come to the conclusion that, yeah, she did this to three people but not nine? When they were all found in her fucking yard. Right. That just doesn't make sense. That's not adding up for me. It's horrible that these people didn't get justice. Yeah. So she got back-to-back life sentences without possibility of parole and served her sentence at Central California Women's Facility, or CCWF, in Couchilla, California. Puente maintained her innocence. Of course. And she said, quote, 
The only time the boarders were in good health was when they stayed at my home. Puente insisted from prison. I made them change their clothes every day, take a bath every day, and eat three meals a day. When they came to me, they were so sick, they weren't expected to live. And that was a quote from allthatsinteresting.com. I call so much bullshit. That is disgusting. Yeah, so with maintaining her innocence, she basically tried to say that all of their deaths were not, like, happened by natural cause. So how the hell did they all have these drugs in their system then, lady? And why didn't you call the police when they died of natural causes instead of burying them in your fucking backyard? Right. Exactly. And the one you made a freaking coffin for and dumped into a river. Like, what was the vendetta against that person? I'm just so confused how she got away with all of this. Honestly, I think it was partially and mainly because of the way she looked. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wonder if she actually believes this delusion she's creating of when they were in my home, they were doing great. I provided for them. Or if she like says and knows this is a lie right i wonder where that delusion begins and where that delusion ends right and honestly she you look at her and she looks like the sweetest little grandma so i think like i said that was a huge part in this but maybe she believed herself she put on this show she believed herself that was part of her mental health issues i don't know but it's disgusting right well like you just said with her looking like a sweet little grandma There was actually an article, and it's included in our resources, one of the articles that we had used, the, that woman, Ruth Monroe, that had started living with her, the first one we mentioned had died of an overdose, she would apparently say to Ruth's, I believe, grandchildren, call me grandma. Oh my god. Yeah, so she really wanted to portray herself that way and come across to people to the point where she was saying call me grandma oh my god that's disgusting yeah so march 27th 2011 she died in prison of natural causes at age 82 and that's all we're gonna kind of say about that yeah Many shows, films, books, and documentaries have featured or have been loosely based around the crimes committed in the boarding house. In 2015, Ghost Adventures even investigated the house due to rumored hauntings. Which I don't doubt because there was a lot of heavy and a lot of darkness within that house. I would haunt that place if I got killed there. That is horrifying. Mm Mm-hmm. This case is also now known as the quote-unquote death house landlady, the black widow of Sacramento, or the grandma serial killer. Wow. So maybe we'll actually name the episode one of those names instead of her name because we'd rather not put her name out there. Yeah, I think we should change it because she doesn't deserve it. It it doesn't take away from the abuse she endured as a child. That's a separate thing. But she chose to do all of these things as an adult. And she's a completely different person than she was as a child. Exactly. And then not only did she murder people, but even those that she, whose lives she didn't take, she inflicted abuse on them when they were in her household. 
and like we said people that were just so innocent and couldn't even care for themselves yeah people that needed actual like tender loving care and help with the issues and struggles they were dealing with whether it be mental illness or um, addiction or anything a mental disability like these people needed love and care and people were referring these people who needed this help to her thinking that's what they she was going to give them as this quote-unquote grandma and little did everyone know that she was she was such an evil human being it just goes to show that you can't judge somebody by their appearance Mm -hmm. exactly so sad so scary yeah I just I've never heard of something like this I mean we I mean I shouldn't say that we have heard of things like this but this is another level I feel like yeah just so awful I feel so sorry for all the lives that were taken and if we can make a title with nine names in it we would but it's we have a sadly probably a word count on that and it would get a little confusing yeah so we'll just try to pick one of those other names as opposed to hers and leave it at that also make sure you check out our facebook i'll talk a little bit more about it in our spiel but you need to see a picture of this woman and you can also look up her um police interview and that in itself is just chilling the act that she's able to put on in the police interview well, that's probably why they let her go get a cup of coffee. They're like, what is this harmless little old lady going to do? Right. Like, sure. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. All right. Anything else we want to add? Don't forget to check out our Instagram shop or riotbabe.com for our merch. We just came out with beanies, crewnecks, sweatpants, and then we also have some of our older merch on there. So make sure you check that out. Everything is going pretty quickly. So grab your size while it's still available. Yeah, currently we do only have 14 beanies left. We only have five mugs left. And yeah, the other the shirts are on a size by size basis. So I'm not quite sure of all the numbers, but it's limited and it's going quick. Yep, so make sure you get, especially the sweatsuit right now before it gets cold because it is the most comfy thing and you'll sleep in it all winter. Totally lived in. (laughs) Totally got soaked in the flood we were in. We forgot to mention that we both wore them home in the airport from Fort Lauderdale. Didn't even realize we were wearing the exact same outfit on the plane home. (laughs) (laughs) And then we both burrowed like little groundhogs into it on the cold-ass flight. Yeah, I don't understand the need to freeze people out, especially in late flights, but, you know, whatever. At least our our crewnecks kept us warm. (laughs) I pulled my arms in and I put it over my head. I was in a cocoon. At one point, she goes, I'm going to tuck my head in this. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I don't remember doing that. I think I was out of it. You did. You're like, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, shall we get into our spiel? Yeah, so you can find us, like I mentioned, on Instagram at Crime Cults and Coffee. That's where we post our coffees that we've reviewed and photos from each week. Also, our link tree in our bio shows all of our listening platforms that you can find our podcast on. 
You can also go to our Facebook at Crime Cults and Coffee. That's where we post uh, resources from every episode and photos connected to every episode. So check both of those out. If you want to give us a case suggestion like Christina and Ashley did or a listener story, you can DM us at Crime Colts and Coffee on Instagram or send us an email at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com. We love getting that from you guys. We love interacting with you. We love your suggestions. It honestly is so interesting when we get cases from you guys that we had never heard of before and then we get to dive into them for you. Even the cases that we do know that we get from you all, it's nice to cover it and then to know that you're going to be listening. We hope we're doing justice by covering what we do. Also, the best way to show that you like our podcast, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, You can leave us a rate and review. We appreciate it. We'll send you stickers. If you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, you can like, you can follow, you could subscribe, and that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. Awesome. So we will talk to you guys next week. And love ya. Until then. Bye. Bye. Regarding this case and our resources, follow us at Crime Cults and Coffee on Instagram and Facebook.